Kids, we're ready to roll. Stopping that virus, that's our goal. So come on, everybody, we're getting the shot. It might hurt a little bit. Just a little bit. But it's going to help a whole lot. <laughs> this vaccination is a great opportunity. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. To do something for yourself and your community. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The virus won't spread if we don't let it. So roll up your sleeves and come and get it. I won't give it to you. If you don't give it to me, I won't give it to her. If I don't get it from her, I won't give it to them. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 25th day of October, 2009. I'd like to remind all my listeners, as always, to check into the websites, corbettreport.com, alqaedadoesntexist.com, and now reportagebook.com, where you can find out more information about my forthcoming book, Reportage, Essays on the New World Order. I'd like to thank, as always, my broadcasting affiliate, KROX Radio 1 at zeropointradio.com, and remind my listeners that there are many ways to access the Corbett Report podcast, including zeropointradio.com, cascadiopublicradio.org, berkeleyliberationradio.org, radioforall.net, and archive.org, where you can access previous copies of this podcast going back to episode 70 in the event that the Corbett Report servers are ever down. I'd also like to take this opportunity to remind my listeners that there are not one, but two weekly YouTube series now being produced by the Corbett Report, including Economics 101, where we talk to different economics analysts and researchers about the real economic headlines that you will not read in the corporate-controlled media, and that's being released every Monday. And of course, we also have The New World Next Week, a video news update series that I'm producing in combination with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, where we discuss some of the most important stories of the last few days, and some stories that will likely make headlines in the next few days. That's being released every Thursday. So once again, I would like to remind my listeners to frequently visit CorbettReport.com, where the latest videos will always be available in the media player on the front page. Or of course, you can go directly to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash CorbettReport. And while we're mentioning James Evan Pilato and MediaMonarchy.com, I would be remiss in my duties if I did not mention the incredible new video that MediaMonarchy.com has just released of his interview with Richard Andrew Grove, 9-11 whistleblower, former host of the 9-11 Synchronicity podcast, and the man behind TragedyAndHope.com, a multimedia magazine that promises to be an incredible new tool in the info war. So once again, in addition to checking out MediaMonarchy.com and TragedyAndHope.com, I would highly encourage my listeners to check out this incredible video interview, which is going under the title, Broken Trust, Wall Street's Dead End. So please check the documentation of today's episode at CorbettReport.com for a link to this video, which is well worth a watch. And now, without further ado... Let's get into today's real news. Today's first real news story was submitted by a listener in Seattle and comes from King5.com, Seattle's local news. It's from October 18th, 2009. Seattle freeways to get smarter. Seattle area freeways are getting smarter starting in summer 2010. High-tech overhead signs will display variable speed limits, lane status, and real-time traffic information so drivers know what's happening ahead. The Department of Transportation plans to install a network of sensors and electronic signs on northbound I-5, SR-520, I-90, and northbound I-5 that automatically responds to traffic conditions and gives drivers information that will result in a safer and smoother trip. 
Traffic engineers call it active traffic management, but it's really about making our highways smarter. Smarter highways technology will move traffic more effectively using our existing highways better. A key element of our three-part Moving Washington strategy to reduce congestion, said Transportation Secretary Paula Hammond. This new system builds and expands on the advanced tools drivers are using today and takes them to the next level. Today's second real news story was also submitted by a listener, this time a listener in Taiwan. It comes from the Taipei Times, October 19th, 2009. Taiwan pioneering smart grids for energy conservation. Taiwan's biggest power company, telecom operator, and IT firms are designing metering and communication systems to link air conditioners and lighting systems with computers and mobile phones. Efficiency gains from the scheme could save millions of tons of carbon emissions. The technologies will enable property owners to set energy budgets for their buildings, send electricity price change updates to consumers via cable TV or mobile phone, and let telecom firms start providing power optimization services. These systems are likely to be crucial to recently announced moves in the UK, the US, and China to build smart grids, because Taiwan develops and manufactures many of the world's electronic chips and components. Today's next real news story comes from MediaMonarchy.com, October 24, 2009. Obama declares swine flu a national emergency, which, like other national emergencies, lets vague directives kick in and be used in broad and sweeping ways, checkpoints, curfews, and possible forced vaccinations. President Barack Obama declared the swine flu outbreak a national emergency and empowered his health secretary to suspend federal requirements and speed treatment for thousands of infected people. The declaration that Obama signed late Friday authorized Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius to bypass federal rules so health officials can respond more quickly to the outbreak, which has killed more than 1,000 people in the United States. The goal is to remove bureaucratic roadblocks and make it easier for sick people to seek treatment and medical providers to provide it immediately. That could mean fewer hurdles, including Medicare, Medicaid, or health privacy regulations. As a nation, we have prepared at all levels of government, and as individuals and communities, taking unprecedented steps to counter the emerging pandemic, Obama wrote in the declaration, which the White House announced Saturday. Today's next real news story comes from The Local, Sweden's News in English, 24th of October 2009. Further deaths linked to swine flu vaccine. Health investigators are under more pressure as two elderly women are reported to have died days after receiving the swine flu vaccine. It brings the total number of deaths linked to the vaccine in Sweden to four. The two latest deaths were reported to the Swedish Medical Products Agency on Friday. A 74-year-old woman from Soleftia in northern Sweden died four days after receiving the swine flu vaccine. The woman, who suffered from heart and lung disease, was classified as a high-risk patient. Naturally, a report will be undertaken, said Dr. Marcus Kalyonen in a press statement released by Vastermorland County Council. We must take this case seriously and investigate what has happened. Today's final real news story comes from Bloomberg.com, October 21st, 2009. Goldman Sachs Griffiths says inequality helps all. A Goldman Sachs international advisor defended compensation in the finance industry as his company plans a near-record year for pay saying the spending will help boost the economy. We have to tolerate the inequality as a way to achieve greater prosperity and opportunity for all, Brian Griffiths, who was a special advisor to former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, said yesterday at a panel discussion at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. The panel's discussion topic was, What is the place of morality in the marketplace? 
Welcome to episode 105 of the Corbett Report, Weaponized Culture. The concept of culture is one that we've touched upon many times before in this podcast. For example, we've taken a look at television shows like The Lone Gunman with their strangely predictive properties back in episode 31 of this podcast. We looked at science fiction and how that can be used to shape our understanding of what is possible in the future in episodes like number 34, The Scientific Dictatorship. We've looked at the psychological manipulation of masses of people by psychologists like Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, in episode 33 of this podcast. We've looked at how music can be an effective means for getting across a truthful message in episode 72 of this podcast. And, of course, one of the most popular episodes we've produced was episode 88, You Are Being Programmed, in which we looked very specifically at how movies and TV can both program us to expect a certain reality, and then sometimes even to make that reality come true. We've also looked at celebrity culture and how it's used to influence people, like the creepy advertisement for Obama's campaign, which we looked at at in episode 71, Mind Control, where various celebrities were paraded before the camera, staring into the viewer's eyes and intoning their undying support for Obama. But so far, one thing that we've failed to do is pull these threads together and look at how culture is really used to shape our society, and exactly who is making that happen. Now, I know the terms society and culture are highly problematic, with variant definitions and understandings of these concepts at use in different times by different people, and I'm sure the academics out there will be highly infuriated by my use of these terms. But for the sake of communication and attempting to bring an idea to the table, today let's agree to use the following definition for society and culture. For today's episode, I'll take society to mean a group of individuals living at the same time in the same place, and culture to be that set of beliefs, institutions, and practices which attempts to form a type of group identity for that society. If we do accept those definitions, then it's quite evident that society is, in fact, real human beings, and culture is an abstract concept that's overlaid and underlaid and interwoven with the fabric of our society to attempt to shape people's practices and even the way they think. It is quite evident from that definition, then, how culture, which is an abstract concept, can be in fact created as a tool for shaping society in whatever direction the culture creators would like society to move. Now, this is a point that requires some fleshing out and some articulation, so let's turn to an extremely important researcher and one with those powers of articulation, and one that my listeners should be familiar with by now. That is, of course, Alan Watt of Cutting Through the Matrix, who, in his July 4th, 2008 edition of Cutting Through the Matrix, outlined, defined, and fleshed out this concept of weaponized culture. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt back, cutting through the Matrix. And the Matrix is the reality that you live in, but the reality is full of many layers of illusions. And those illusions are not there by chance. They're put there by those who create and guide culture. People grow up thinking that everything is quite natural, it must be so, because no one says otherwise. That's how simple it is. Yet from the fashions to the music to the topics you chat about, they're all downloaded into you, like Mr. Brzezinski has said. All the old techniques. And talking about culture, when the elite want a passive culture, they give you a good time. They tell you to party and have fun. And they throw credit cards at you. They make things pretty cheap and pretty well made. 
that's what the public had for quite a few years. And now, of course, they've altered it all once again, and the good times are gone. All by design. Gone because they knew many, many, many years ago when they started the covert operations to set China up as the main manufacturer of the planet, but eventually would export all the factories over there. And people don't realize, and how quickly they adapt again, it's true enough what Plato says, that the, cult, that the actual generation going through are the last to notice. They adapt so fast. It's like they delete their memory. There's no further value to them. But you forget that, that the U.S. and Canada and most of Europe was covered in factories where they produced all their own goods. Now we're down to service economies where we bring things in, we import stuff in, and we pass it around. That's what it's done to. And you can tell by the quality of materials and things that you buy that everything is disposable. That's what you used to find in third world countries back in the 70s and 80s. Everything's passed here by the big inspection companies that are supposed to guard, safeguard you, and they're selling you junk because they're maximizing the profit, which means making them as cheaply as possible. So it's not meant to last too long, the system. That's key to that. You can tell it by the quality of the goods. But culture is an interesting thing, as I say, because every generation has been reared since World War II, especially thinking that it's their time, that everything is put out by themselves somehow. They see people around their own age groups singing songs or wailing songs or yelling songs or shouting songs or swearing songs at them and they think this is ours and they always give you a fashion to suit you see and then of course when they brought out the same regime plus contraception back in the 60s because remember they'd already tried it in the 1920s and it failed when they re-brought it back in the 60s that was a real kick off and the ball was rolling most of the goals of what people think to be the Communist Manifesto have been accomplished in a very short space of time. And you now have the demoralized culture. You also have an apathetic culture. Very, very important is apathy, the creation of apathy. When you bring a culture down and you want them to be docile and obedient and afraid, fear is very good when you weaponize culture. And that's what it's been done, you see, weaponizing culture. The same technique they use to weaponize bacterium and viruses, that's what they call it, weaponizing. They've been weaponizing culture for a long time. Alan Watt of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com Now, it's important to note that the weaponized culture concept outlined by Alan Watt in that very important speech is not strictly metaphorical, and it's not even a term that he himself invented. In fact, as he goes on to outline later on in that episode, which I would highly suggest people listen to at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, that's a term that has in fact been employed time and again. And in fact, it comes from an article from TheBulletin.org, which is the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, by an anthropologist named Hugh Gusterson, from the 20th of June, 2008. And the headline of this article is The U.S. Military's Quest to Weaponize Culture. And he goes into some detail about how the U.S. Army is employing anthropologists to weaponize culture and use it as a tool for fighting wars like those wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and other theaters of operation. So again, this is not an abstract concept, and it's not one that... Alan Watt has invented. It's in fact one that is already well known. But as you can imagine, there are many, many, many ways to understand, articulate, flesh out, and identify this concept in practice in our world. And as Alan Watt mentioned in his talk, of course, one of the key tools for manipulating culture is the use of fear. Now, this is obviously not a concept that will be unfamiliar to my listeners, 
and to indeed to anyone who has lived through the rhetoric of the last eight years of the war on terror. But regardless, it's nonetheless still apt as an observation today that fear, of course, is one of the primary tools by which the powers that be attempt to manipulate society in a certain direction. In fact, the propaganda, even that's coming out today, is still so blatant that it makes one wonder how anyone could not see this obvious stratagem. For one very recent example of this, let's turn to a brand new advertisement from the LAPD, which has just put out a television advertisement for its iWatch program, encouraging people to spy on everyone around them. What is iWatch? It's a way to report suspicious behavior or activity that relates to terrorism. Terrorism is a crime. It is our shared responsibility to keep America safe. That's why I, I watch. It's like a neighborhood watch for the whole city. If you see, hear, or smell something suspicious, report it. Reporting is easy. Use the web or the phone. Let law enforcement determine if it's a threat. And let the experts decide. I watch my street. I watch my city. I watch my community. I watch my America. I watch because I have a sister. A brother. A family. I watch because I have grandkids. I watch because I care. Because I think it's important. A simple observation. A single report. Can lead to actions that can stop a terrorist attack. Think about that. Think about the power of that. Think about the power of iWatch. I watch. I report. I keep us safe. To report or learn more, go to iWatchLA.org. My name is Chris Matthews. My name is Mona. Greta Ballard. Rachel. George. My name is Carlos, and I I watch. Thankfully, many people are now very immune to these types of messages from public authorities like the LAPD, and they're not willing to go along with the messages contained in this mass propaganda brainwashing as is evidenced by stories like this one from truslant.com, LAPD freaks out America with new Orwellian ad. People just aren't buying what the government agencies are attempting to sell us about being fearful. But, of course, there are many, many, many other ways to reach out and influence culture rather than simply having authorities tell us what to believe. Obviously, that's the lowest form of propaganda, the easiest to see through, and therefore the least effective. But culture is something that permeates absolutely every facet of our lives, to the point where we can often be propagandized to through culture without even consciously being aware that what we are experiencing is propaganda. One particularly interesting example is the nexus between sport and carbon emissions. Sports self-evidently have an effect in shaping people's consciousness, and it's something that preoccupies many people. And one of the effects of sports on the mass culture, as we've pointed out in previous episodes, is to take humans' natural instincts towards competition, aggressiveness, and the urge to defend one's tribe, and turns that into a essentially meaningless activity of rooting for, as Jerry Seinfeld memorably put it, rooting for laundry. One's identity can be intertwined with one's team colors, and one can be effectively deflected from any actual participation in the political realm because people are preoccupied with how their sports team is doing. Now, of course, there's nothing inherently wrong with sports, but when it's taken to such an extent, it obviously becomes a tool through which culture can be shaped. And the effect of sports on the popular consciousness can be used to further propaganda about carbon footprints. These come from stories like this one from Reuters, October 19th, 2009, 2010 Soccer World Cup Emissions to Soar, Minister, which talks extensively about how the 2010 World Cup in South Africa will have 10 times the carbon footprint of Germany's back in 2006. And there's much fretting and hand-wringing about this subject, and even some people calling for the World Cup to be cancelled. 
Well, I'm willing to bet that the World Cup will not be cancelled, but that FIFA will be made to make the necessary gestures of supplication and repentance towards their carbon footprint by making carbon offsets for these games. And many, many, many sports newspaper columns will be devoted to this, and there will be much talk of it on TV, and thus, of course, around the water cooler on Monday mornings. Other examples of this come from the David Suzuki Foundation, davidsuzuki.org, NHL players put global warming on ice about an NHLPA initiative to reduce their carbon footprint and become carbon neutral. And yes, for the record, that is the same David Suzuki who called humans maggots and suggested that anyone who dares question the science of man-made global warming needs to be put in jail. The NFL, of course, is happy to get in on the act. January 2nd, 2008... NFL trees to offset Super Bowl pollution. And of course, stories like these only serve to reinforce in the popular consciousness the idea that there is a carbon footprint which we should be worried about. Because even though the fact that 94% of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere are water vapor and have nothing to do with human activities, they can get you to focus completely laser-like on the problem of carbon dioxide, even supposing that carbon dioxide was a problem and not a life-giving gas that was one of the four essential building blocks of life on this planet, one would have to question why there is such intense focus on carbon footprints, and how in the last few years alone, the concept of carbon footprint has been ingrained in the public consciousness through efforts like these, which seemingly have nothing to do with propaganda and everything to do with sports. But of course, sports in this case are only being used as a vehicle for delivering the propaganda message. But don't take my word for it. Take John Elway's. As I stand here inside the cells exhibit, anyone, anytime, anywhere, understanding the threat of terrorism, I'm reminded of the morning of September 11, 2001. I remember turning on the television and saying, how can this possibly be happening in the United States of America? Well, it's something that we're going to have to deal with the rest of our lives. The horrific events of September 11th and the Oklahoma City bombing have made it clear that terrorism is not only a very real threat abroad, but also right here at home. Anyone can become a victim of terrorism, anytime, anywhere. Together, we can change this. Each of us has a responsibility to protect our community, and we can do so by recognizing the signs of terrorism and taking proper action to stop it. I'll refrain from playing that clip in its entirety, but if you want to subject yourselves to the full eight or nine minutes of that, you can always go to CorbettReport.com, look under the Episodes tab, and look under the documentation for today's episodes to follow the link to that video, where you can watch it for yourself. But once again, it's good to note that people aren't falling for this shameless propaganda, even when it's pumped and pimped by a celebrity sports figure, and that can be garnered from a Talking Points Memo article on the subject, Super Bowl MVP John Elway Explains How to Catch a Terrorist. And one of the interesting points that they make in that article is, quote, The video includes frightening music, government seals, shadowy terrorists, and the warning from Elway that anybody can be a victim of terrorism anytime, anywhere. Though he doesn't follow up with, that means you, or run for your life, or suspect everyone. It's sort of implied. The video also unintentionally serves as a handy how-to guide for staging a terrorist attack, explaining how terrorists raise and transfer money, conduct surveillance on potential targets like schools and stadiums, clock typical emergency response times, impersonate officials, and acquire supplies. Of course, this is all presented in the context of information that's supposed to help viewers like you spot and catch a terrorist. End quote. Now, as Alan Watt identified in that opening clip from today's episode, the culture creation industry and the use of culture as a weapon through which people's minds can be controlled is in fact an ancient technique and one that has been employed even since the time of Plato all the way down to today. 
But even given that this is a commonly employed technique and that, of course, most of the culture that we're subjected to is weaponized and used as a way of implanting myths and memes in our consciousness, you may have noticed a suspicious increase in the concentration of such propaganda in recent months, and in fact, this month has seen an incredible increase in open, bald-faced, mainstream primetime propaganda in television shows. One example is the opening song from today's episode, and I apologize for subjecting my listeners to that, but I felt it was necessary to give an indication of the type of unbelievable propaganda that our children are being subjected to in their children's programming. And of course, there's nothing new in that. And this week, we have this story from PrisonPlanet.com. Government hijacks kids' TV to propagandize for swine flu shots. Quote, the federal government has accelerated its $16 million PR campaign to brainwash and coerce in increasingly suspicious Americans into taking the swine flu vaccine by weaving their propaganda into a popular preschool show for children, currently airing on PBS Kids. Sid the Science Kid is a half-hour series produced by Jim Henson Productions and KCET in Los Angeles, California. The program is bankrolled in part by the Boeing Company, a titan of the military-industrial complex. During an episode of the show set to air on Monday, the computer-generated characters are shown dancing around and singing about how they are taking the flu vaccine. Indeed, the entire episode is devoted to pro-vaccine propaganda and was created in association with Health and Human Services. The episode is entitled, Getting a Shot. You can do it. End quote. That's right, U.S. government agencies teaming up with children's programming to tell children that they should take a vaccine. Does it strike anyone at any level that this is not something that our tax dollars should be going towards funding? Does it strike anyone that the government should not be telling its citizens what to do or what not to do with their own bodies, let alone propagandizing to their children in their TV programming? Evidently not, because the rage has yet to spill over from this type of absolutely insane action. But there are many, many other examples. And again, as I say, this last week has seen an incredible increase in the concentration of such propaganda. We have, for example, another article from PrisonPlanet.com from the 21st of October 2009, Flu Vaccine Brainwashing in Primetime ABC Show, which talks about the ABC series Flash Forward, which uses an image of an attractive woman's breasts to get the male viewer's attention on a certain part of the screen, which then flashes with an imaginary website, employing the words like, time for your flu shot, and take it now. And perhaps there is hope, because there are at least some people who are awake and aware of how this type of programming is dangerous and is influencing the public. We have an example from the Daily Mail, also from the 21st of October 2009. Climate change advert featuring drowning puppies and dying rabbits probed by watchdog after more than 350 complaints. There was once a land where the weather was very, very strange. There were awful heat waves in some parts, and in others terrible storms and floods. Scientists said it was being caused by too much CO2, which went up into the sky when the grown-ups used energy. They said the CO2 was getting dangerous. Its effects were happening faster than they had thought. Some places could even disappear under the sea, and it was the children of the land who'd have to live with the horrible consequences. The grown-ups realised they had to do something. They discovered that over 40% of the CO2 was coming from ordinary everyday things like keeping houses warm and driving cars, which meant if they made less CO2, maybe they could save the land for the children. Is there a happy ending? It's up to us how the story ends. See what you can do. Search online for Act on CO2. Again, it's good to know that these types of ad campaigns are launching hundreds of complaints to the relevant authorities because it is indeed something that people should be getting mad about. 
we should not be passively accepting this type of propaganda, which is aimed at the youngest and most vulnerable among us, and attempting to shape people's opinions and conceptions and beliefs and practices toward a certain agenda, an agenda that we have outlined time and time again in this podcast. But at this point, there's an important distinction that needs to be made to further our understanding of this topic. Namely, we have to distinguish between the content of the propaganda that we're being force-fed and the vehicle through which that content is delivered. If we're going to use the infowar analogy of a war for your mind, then if propaganda is an enemy weapon that's deployed in order to blow your mind and shape your perceptions in a certain way, then the delivery vehicle for that propaganda warhead is, in our technological post-industrial age, the television. It is bringing entertainment to thousands of people. Through its magic, we are able to enjoy a combination of the radio, motion pictures, and the stage, right in the comfort of our own homes, simply by pushing a button and turning a dial. These cells with their electrical charges are scanned by a stream of electrons, completing 30 pictures a second. Compare that crude picture with these of today, and you can judge for yourself how far along the road to perfection television has traveled. Most people still today think that all entertainment uh, to do with movies, drama, is, is there for nothing more than their entertainment. It never, ever was that case. Of course, television can't perform such miracles as this, yet. But perhaps there's no harm wishing that it could. The greatest social, social med uh, messages are promoted through movies and drama, high drama, through the fixation of emotive sequences, emotional sequences, not logical, factual sequences, but pushing points across in an emotion, emotional way which register and fix in the mind. So emotional content is very, very important rather than going through an actual discussion or an argument using logic and facts. There's no debate. And when you're being downloaded through fiction, your guard is down. The sensor part of your brain is not in, uh, in action. It isn't saying, yes, I agree with this, I disagree with that, as you would in a debate or a lecture. You're actually in an alpha state, being completely downloaded with new ideas. Throughout history, social engineers have refined techniques designed to control large populations. About a hundred years ago, this big organization with many branches, uh, they wanted to rule the world basically using Britain as a nucleus of, of a system, an embryo, uh, which also was going to be joined with the US uh, under the Anglo-American establishment, uh, wrote about the kind of culture and the changes of culture over a hundred year period that they would actually design, implement and bring in. And um, H.G. Wells talked about it too. He talked about arenas. He says arenas could be put up across the world for sports, for instance. Now at that time, sports was something that children, uh, school children were into. Adults became adults and got onto adult things. So it was unimaginable at the time that people could actually believe that uh, uh, there was even a need for adult sports and entertainment, never mind having ar arenas built across the world, but he said we can do this and voiced basically a sports culture for the males. Using a tribal system, we're all tribal to an extent, that's why we even bother to vote for a tribal leader. Uh, this is well understood, that's why we're supplied with these leaders. And because the, the average man was to become more disengaged from his own destiny as the expert class arose, it was decided that, that the males would get their, their, their outlet, basically, um, being gradually becoming helpless as, as males through sports. Therefore, they'd have a tribal team they could identify with. Uh, they could um, cheer them on as they were winning. In their own personal lives, they were getting nowhere. They were getting disenfranchised, in a sense, as experts took over um, decision-making for them in all kinds of fields. So this was psychology 
its use uh, planned before they even implemented the sports. Um, when radio came along, of course, they, they, they used that to the maximum. Uh, sports for the men, um, soaps basically for the women, and then in came television, as I say, with its alpha state, its hypnotic state, and sure enough, around the 1960s, really, 50s and 60s, it took off. It really, really took off, uh, and men became glued on Saturday nights to the sports shows. A culture industry, which is called by its own the culture industry. The Soviet Union had a department called the culture industry. Their actors and directors were called the cultural leaders. Leaders. Because they would, like a computer, people are like computers, um, all you have to do is keep giving them new updates every so often and you can change an entire country or a nation or a block of nations who are all getting the same uploads, upgrades at the same time along certain paths. Today we call it political correctness. Most people want to belong to their peer group. They want to be the same as everyone else when it comes to opinions. In fact, they judge their own personal sanity by bouncing ideas off their, their neighbors and friends who will answer back and agree on these same topics in kind. It doesn't matter if the topics or, the, or what you're given are facts or, or utter nonsense, as long as everyone agrees at the same time, you'll say, well, I'm sane, and your friends will all agree because they've had the same information given to them. But they've been programmed, and I, I'm sad because I know that it's hard for people like that to take an interest, a serious interest in world affairs, to take a serious interest in what their elected officials are doing. And they're not going to be really inclined to study uh, or discover the deception that's being used against them. And so I'm sad because I, I see all of that in a flash in my mind as being an indication of how easy it is for the masses to be manipulated. Now, that was a clip from Alex Jones's new documentary, Fall of the Republic, a documentary which obviously I cannot recommend highly enough, and which my loyal listeners will know was released in its entirety in audio format as episode 104 of this podcast on Friday. So, once again, if you think this information is important, please spread that documentary like wildfire. But the point of that clip from that Fall of the Republic documentary is well taken, that televisions are, of course, a way of delivering propaganda into your home on a nightly basis. In order to come to a better understanding of how this propaganda works and what it does to our subconscious minds on a physiological level, I recently had the chance to talk to Stephen Jacobson. Stephen Jacobson runs the website mindcontrolinamerica.com, where people can find out more about his various audio presentations on the subject of mind control, and he was a Boston University graduate in media communications who spent 13 years in the film industry in various roles and capacities, but was forced to quit because of information that he received from medical research showing exactly how movies and television can be used to shape people's conscious and subconscious minds through the very technical spe specifications of the medium itself. This is an extremely fascinating subject, so of course I would highly recommend that listeners go to CorbettReport.com to li listen to that interview in its entirety under the Interviews tab. But right now, let's listen to the opening minutes of that conversation with Stephen Jacobson. Uh, this is your first time on the Corbett Report, so let's go over your background and establish your credentials a little bit. Why don't you tell us about your uh, experience in film and media? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I had studied at Boston University and then worked in the film industry for 13 years in different capacities, but primarily as a film editor. And working as a film editor, it was easy to see how simple it is to change the meaning of an event or to change the meaning of what people say through simple editing. And so I was very well aware of how plastic and moldable media reality is, but I didn't 
fully appreciate the extent to which we are all manipulated and controlled by the mass media, even those people who work in it, until I was given the results of private medical research uh, investigating programming and deprogramming. And uh, when I studied that material, uh, I saw what the implications were, and it eventually led to my leaving the career that I was pursuing to investigate this uh, whole issue of uh, mind control and uh, uh, mental uh, programming and uh, manipulation. Uh, we, We live in a controlled environment, uh, a virtual reality where very few people realize the extent to which we are manipulated and controlled by unseen forces. In fact, I would go as far to say that our society is the most manipulated and controlled society in history because of the programming and conditioning we all undergo through both the mass media and public education. Now, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with George Orwell's prophetic book, 1984, in which he warned that people were in danger of losing their freedom of mind without being aware of it while it was happening because of psychological, emotional, and intellectual manipulation, mind control. Well, 1984 arrived unnoticed in America because people were conditioned not to notice. Uh, we were born into this situation. Uh, we were born into a, a system of lies and deception, and uh, that makes it so much more difficult for people to see through it. Uh, they, uh, the majority of the population considers this to be a normal uh, uh, set of circumstances, and it is anything but that. That's that's exactly right, and that's that's a key point because uh, people are are programmed in a way to respond to certain ideas and certain words in certain ways. So even using the term mind control can cause some people to roll their eyes in disbelief. But I guess in this case, it's important to stress that this is not hocus pocus. We're talking about we're talking about documentable effects backed up by reams of scientific study and documentation. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, the mind control is uh, not uh, anything new. It's ancient. Uh, The difference uh, today in so-called modern society is the technology that allows for the implementation of these ancient principles and techniques on a massive scale to influence the thinking and behavior of large numbers of people. Uh, Again, the the techniques of hypnotic programming uh, are ancient. They uh, arise out of uh, religion. And uh, the use of uh, these techniques to uh, 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 condition and program people. There, there isn't much difference between primitive man sitting around a campfire telling stories about how society works and what's right and wrong. Not much difference between that and modern man sitting in front of the flickering light of a television set watching stories that are doing exactly the same thing telling people how society works, what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior, and what's right and wrong. So storytelling is the oldest means of transmitting information in society. In fact, the arts, whether it be uh, drama, writing, storytelling, music, uh, are a delivery system for propaganda. Uh, entertainment, uh, uh, for many people, they consider it innocuous, that it's not so important. But uh, it is because of that uh, they don't uh, realize uh, the extent to which our uh, culture and society is molded by these influences. Now, television, uh, I'd like to uh, use that as a, uh, and it's an excellent uh, illustration uh, about how mind control works, what the principles are and the techniques. Television is by far the most powerful weapon of psychological warfare in history. Now, most people don't think of television as a weapon because it has become a member of the family in so many households across the country. For many people, it's their primary source of news, information, entertainment. After a hard day's work, people come home tired and plop themselves down on their sofa, a favorite easy chair, turn the television on, you grab the remote, turn it on, and and then the mind goes on hold. And that's where the problem is. If you think back to when you have observed young children or older adults sitting in front of a TV, 
you'll notice that they have this vacant, glassy-eyed look in their eyes. And we can even catch ourselves when we're watching television go into this state where we lose all sense of time and place. The reason for this is that television induces a hypnotic trance. The reason this is important is that the first objective for a propagandist or an advertiser is to create the conditions that will produce a state of mind that is favorable for the reception of their message. The optimist state of mind for doing that is the hypnotic state of mind. And television induces this altered state automatically, regardless of the content. doesn't matter what the program is, because it is the very nature of the medium itself that induces the trance state. Now, hypnosis, uh, the principles behind it are, are, are very simple, basic. The, the idea is to focus the attention of the conscious mind on one or more of the five senses. In the case of the visual media, TV, focusing the attention uh, of, uh, on hearing and on sight. A hypnotist will use his voice and speak in a, in a hypnotic pattern, uh, a patterned speech to get the subject to lock on to the sound of the voice. And by doing so, the repetitive pattern clears the mind of all thought so that the message gets uh, uh, gets through to the sub subconscious unimpeded. The f that uh, a propagandist or advertiser, they don't want people to think about the message uh, and evaluate it and use their critical thinking and then make their decision about whether or not they're going to accept it. The whole point of programming is to bypass the critical uh, thinking and analysis and speak directly to the subconscious mind. So in order to do that, the optimum tool is to or optimum state of mind is the hypnotic state of mind and television throws people into that state automatically and how it does that is the nature of the medium itself the image flickers we don't see the flicker consciously but subconsciously the repeating pattern of that visual flicker induces the trance state now Sometimes uh, if you're driving at night uh, or desk, uh, uh, you see uh, a kind of blue flicker coming through uh, people's living rooms where they have a TV on. Uh, that's a visual representation of uh, this flicker effect. Uh, in old movies sometimes, there'd be a television uh, in the background, and you'd see these black roll bars going up and down. That's because the this flicker wasn't compensated for, and so the camera, uh, the movie camera would pick up the... Uh, uh, the flicker as the uh, that line, that black line or roll bar going up and down. That's a visual rep representation of what's happening. The the power of the medium was recognized right from the very beginning uh, of its uh, its inception. The, uh, corporate America, government, advertisers knew what they had. They had an instrument for mass hypnosis to create a unified mindset in the population. And, uh, and thereby be able to speak directly to the subconscious. Once again, Stephen Jacobson of MindControlInAmerica.com. As Mr. Jacobson gestures towards the end of that clip from our interview, indeed, people who are aware of how television is used as a weapons delivery system for the weaponized culture, the propaganda warheads which explode on our minds every day, at least people can be aware of these techniques and how they're used, and thus be at least conscious of how we are being manipulated. But the question is, can we ever truly free ourselves from that manipulation when we are subjected to that medium? It's a good question, and one that goes to the very heart of the question of how we can best counter and ultimately defeat this propaganda. Because, of course, my listeners will be aware that I am a supporter of truth music, Truth art, truth culture, truth movies, truth television. In fact, all of the various ways in which media and people in the media who are aware of the truth on various issues can use their medium to communicate that message. But the question is, can we fight fire with fire? And is that the best way to get our message across? Ultimately, I guess I do have faith in humanity and in the human intellect to be able to consciously overcome this subconscious manipulation, at least by consciously exposing and being aware of the propaganda, 
we can be in control of that propaganda over our minds. Some hopeful indications of that come from new research like this one highlighted in The Guardian from just this last Thursday, 22nd of October 2009. Number of Americans who believe in climate change drops, survey shows. Only 57% of Americans feel that the planet's atmosphere is warming, a fall from 77% two years ago. Now that is an extremely hopeful sign, especially considering the amount and the intensity of the propaganda around carbon footprints and the global warming crisis which we're all facing. To think that that incredible propaganda machine, which is echoed in every major corporate-controlled media outlet time and time again, numerous times a day, to think that that can be overcome by simply spreading the truth about climate change and the science behind man-made climate change is extremely hardening. Another good sign, another key sign that we can have an effect and can overcome this propaganda comes from a Reuters.com article from last Friday, October 23rd, 2009. Canadian health officials discount vaccine myths. And this article highlights the fact that 49% of Canadians say they are not likely to take the swine flu vaccine. Again, another incredible victory considering the amount and intensity of propaganda trying to convince people that this vaccine is the best thing since sliced bread. Of course, just because we are winning these battles for the hearts and minds of the public does not mean the other side is ever going to stop using this ability to control society as long as that power is in their grasp. And that comes from an article from blacklistednews.com, 15th of October 2009. Leaked network memo reveals Obama controls your television set. Quote, on September 10th of this year, the Entertainment Industry Foundation posted a press release informing the world that from October 19th to the 25th, more than 60 network TV shows will spotlight the power and personal benefits of service, and that this unprecedented block of TV programming is the first wave of a multi-year participant campaign. On its face, this all sounds rather benign in that silly, liberal, do-gooder kind of way. The networks have launched these kinds of campaigns before, and other than some clunky exposition awkwardly inserted into your favorite show to meet the mandate, no harm, no foul. But this year there are a couple of new strangers in town. Volunteerism and service. You've heard of them. Their names have been bandied everywhere since President Obama took office, and this internal memo from the EIF to network showrunners obtained by Big Hollywood shows that the entertainment industry is well acquainted and eager to introduce both to as vast an audience as possible. End quote. Now, we know that American television programming is going to feature the idea of volunteerism and service in the name of Obama with increasing frequency, and... When we start to see this implemented and manifested in television programming, just as the $16 million PR campaign from Health and Human Services has already been inserted into shows like Sid the Science Kid, the question is, how are you going to respond? That's all for today. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me again next week for episode 106 of The Corbett Report. Meet Henry Kissinger. One nation under God has turned into one nation under the influence of one drug. Television, the drug of a nation. Breeding ignorance and feeding radiation on television. The drug of the nation. Breeding ignorance and feeding radiation. TV. Its satellite links are United States of unconsciousness. Apathetic, therapeutic, and extremely addictive. The methadone metronome. Pumping out 150 channels 24 hours a day. You can flip through all of them. And still, there's nothing worth watching. 
TV is the reason why less than 10% of our nation reads books daily. Why most people think Central America means Kansas. Socialism means un-American, and apartheid is the new headache remedy. 